I do buy things to break them. There's a music store right up the street. I think most of their business is done online. And so they get a lot of like return stuff that was damaged in the, like the transport. I mean, I have bought guitars up there. They have like a crack in them, but that's it for $5. I have all kinds of instruments just to shatter and break and bow and crunch and step through. <laughs> I love it. Welcome to The Practical Filmmaker, an educational podcast brought to you by the Filmmaker Institute and Sunscreen Film Festival, where industry professionals talk nuts and bolts and the steps they took to find their success today. On today's show, crime sonic extraordinaire Dan Brown Jr. takes us into designing the sound and music for the shows of true crime. Find the full transcripts and more at thepracticalfilmmaker.com. I'm your host, Tanya Musgrave, and today we have Dan Brown Jr., five-time regional Emmy award-winning composer and sound producer at his company of Crime Sonics, a company dedicated to making the music, SFX, Foley, and police chatter of crime TV come to life. You've heard his sounds on Netflix, Hulu, network television, and more. Welcome to the show. Yo, yo, yo. How you doing? <laughs> doing well. So how did you get here? Tell me, tell me the story of how you ended up in a life of crime. When I was young, I actually got in quite a bit of trouble. And uh, so, you know, when I'm looking at footage or I'm, you know, writing with a scenario in mind, it's, some, it's not something that I have to uh, try to fantasize about. It's something that I had, had gone through as a, as a young guy. So I, I know what it's like to lose my freedom. I know what it's like to be. Uh, we won't go into a whole lot of detail. But uh, yeah, hung out with some 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 rough kids, and uh, and that made a major impression on me as a uh, as uh, as a young kid. Okay, I was trying to be clever when I said, "Hey, you know, like about your life of crime," but like I didn't know that there was an actual like personal <laughs> personal connection. <laughs> there was a life of crime. You know, hey, you're, you're not crime sonics, and so it's like, interesting. You know, I remember when I was I was in a detention home, and I was young. I was a young kid, and my probation officer came in and he said something I remember because I was sitting in like this common area and he sat down next to me and he said you don't belong here but see these other kids some of them do and you know one could argue well no none of them belong there well some of them did some really terrible stuff I was hanging out with some bad kids doing some stuff they didn't really do a whole lot but he what he was saying to me was there's something special about you dude you don't belong here and, you know, I'll never forget that because he said that and I believed that. Mm. I believed it. And uh, that, from that moment, like I had long hair at the time, you know, and uh, yeah, yeah. I remember getting out of there and like, you know, cut my hair for the first time. And like, yeah. it, was, it was neat. It only took one person that to really look, you know, look into you and speak into your life. Do you know longer, dude? Wow. Pretty cool. Wow. Do you feel like with your background, do you feel like this is pretty much your redemptive arc? Maybe. I don't know. It's interesting. You know, there is like all kinds of, you know, fanaticism. That's the right use of that word. Like there's, you know, Crime Con, which is awesome. And we're going to hopefully be presenters at Crime Con. And it's all these wonderful people from around the world who are passionate about the true crime genre. But you got to kind of like juxtapose that to the real people who have experienced real crime. And so when people look at like me or Crime Sonics, I don't want them or I hope they don't just think like, these people are all about the crime. It's not about the crime. It's about the solving of the crime. It's about mm -hmm. how, like what happened and how was it solved or how is that case going? How is that investi investigation going? I'm very passionate about the process of solving it because these are real people 
who need real closure and deserve real justice. You know, you grow up, you mature, you you start finding your way in life. And I knew um, I was always going to work in music. I didn't necessarily know I was going to work in music um, for media until we lived in Denver. And I met a guy who scored a, a movie, an indie film. He said, dude, watch, watch this indie film. I did all the music and I watched it. And I was like, wow, that's, I never thought about that. That's kind of cool. And, uh, and it was like right in that moment, I knew, well, if I'm going to work on a a film or, a, or some sort of project, it's, it's got to be true crime. And, you know, it's what I watch, it's what I consume, it's what I want. All right, all right. And uh, so I started seeking that stuff out. And it's hard to, it, you know, it was hard to find that stuff in Denver. And uh, so I moved out to Hollywood and it was just with that goal in mind. Like, I'm going to figure out all the avenues and what it takes to write the music that you hear in the crime shows. So that's kind of how we're here. Wow. Interesting. Okay. So for indie filmmakers, I mean, like people who are kind of pulling themselves up by their boot traps too, if they're just starting out and wanting to hire composers, like what should they expect? Like we're talking like what point in the process to get in touch, like price range, like expected turnaround time, like what's the process? It's a, it's a super loaded question. <laughs> it's, super, it's super loaded. So I guess it kind of just de- depends on a couple of things. Talent attracts talent. And I also think like experience can attract experience. And so first kind of knowing, like, like I'm talking to the filmmaker, knowing where you are in the process and where you are in your own experiences can dictate a little bit maybe of who you're going to hire or, or, you know, maybe someone that's right in line where, where you are in your experience level, or maybe someone just a little bit above to kind of bring you along the way. So knowing knowing where you are, having those honest conversations, and also knowing, too, like, composers, they're pretty artsy people at times, a lot of times, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and so yeah. there's some things that you might want to consider. One being, um, can you speak the language of music, but not even in musical terms, maybe like, can you, you know, do you feel confident, like trying to convey like to a composer, I, you know, I want this kind of sound or this kind of tone or this kind of feel or this kind of emotion. You always hear like those stories about the director that comes to the composer and says, I want my movie to sound blue, like that kind of stuff. Like, you know, we got to get past all of that <laughs> stuff. I actually like, and most composers, I think they pretend that they don't like is the temp score. And that's when you can find pre-existing music, other music, music from another film mm-hmm. that it's kind of the vibe of your film or you'd like your film to sound somewhat like. I actually like that because that immediately helps me understand the mind of the director. Mm-hmm. Like now I know kind of like, okay, you put this music into your project. Now let's dialogue and let's talk about what do you like about that? Mm-hmm. And then you're going to start throwing out certain things. You're going to say, well, I really like the, like the driving drums of that. Mm-hmm. I'm going to pocket that away. Yeah. Or you'll say, you know, like it's the string writing in this. Mm-hmm. And it might only have a little bit of string writing and all this other stuff, but that's what you pointed out. So now, now we're focused on what is it about the strings that you like? You also ask when to bring a composer in on the process. I can't speak for everyone. I can only tell you my experience. I like being involved as much as I can. Like, Mm -hmm. I like the story. I like talking with directors and producers. Mm -hmm. You know, bring me in as early as possible. Just Mm -hmm. let me get a vibe. What are you working on? Let me see stuff. You know, I I like (laughs) it. You can bring me on as early as you want. About what time frame is it to come up with an original 
score? It depends on a few factors, and one being the style of music that's requested. It's quicker to write um, some ambient music than it is to write symphonic score. So that's going to dictate a lot of time, mm. um, budget. And then mm. the other thing would be uh, the length of the piece. Is it a mm. short film? Is it an you know, episodic television? Is it a full-length feature? Yeah. So there's a lot of factors that play in. I heard another composer say, if I don't have enough time to do my best work, no matter how inspired by the project I am, I'll, you know, graciously bow out of it because I want to give my best as well. And that is unfortunate that a lot of times that uh, composers are brought in late, you know, it happens, but, uh, you know, speaking from the composer standpoint, bring us on early, you know, Mm -hmm. that gives us time to massage things, move things around and really experiment. Is it something where, you know, they would budget, you know, kind of by the minute? Do you budget kind of like by the minute of just like, hey, this is going to take me a week and it's going to be around this much. Um, This is going to take me a month or, you know, I could get this to you tomorrow morning. (laughs) Yes. No, it all it all depends. Every composer is different in how they structure their pay scale. I have a lot of other skill sets other than music. So I like to come on and like offer other things to the project as well, like sound design or like overall mix or, yeah, yeah. and so like, you know, like you, like I would, um, and I'm, you know, saying this on recording, so should I regret it? But <laughs> sometimes I'll take a lower pay mm. if I move into like an associate producer role, mm. you know, stuff like that. And so um, it's kind of all over the map. For wardrobe, I remember somebody saying that you need at least three textures, you know, um, oh, you have leather, you have metal and you have, cotton or you know what have you is there one aspect of music and sound that might actually like usually get swept under the rug by amateurs but if you heard it you'd say ah now that's some good production music or you know good sound let me personalize it and talk about crime sonics uh, specifically since yeah. we do like one thing but then we have all the sub genres of the one thing so you can think like crime investigatory procedural drama but uh, you know, real quick. So cybercrime doesn't sound like Southern justice. That doesn't sound like forensic science. Forensic science doesn't sound like 80s Chicago detective music, which doesn't sound like gumshoe sleuth, you know, kind of wow. music. So there's all these different sounds, right, that could be considered crime. Yeah. And so for internally, like we have a really strict bifurcation of our libraries. And when I'm working with our composers, I'm telling them like, you know, they, they have uh, reference material. They have um, you know, like our pre-existing stuff. Uh, we'll do this kind of thing as we're doing now. I'll dialogue with them, kind of like bring them in, like really hone them in. Yeah. And so when the tracks come in, we have a, like a weekly portal that our composers submit to. I bring them all into the DAW. I just put everything into Pro Tools. And the first thing I do is I look at it visually. And I'm looking at the WAV file. And if I see brick wall limiting or like the audio just looks like a brick and it's a block of, you know, like a big block of cheddar cheese, I don't even listen to it. And it's immediately rejected. And it's usually permanently rejected. Yeah, yeah. Because I know I can tell right now that that particular composer, if they're new or that particular artist, they're not at a spot yet where they're even producing what could be usable. So I, I, mm. I can't even want to next. Yeah. And then the next thing I look for is if I see, you know, audio that looks good is uh, I'm looking with the video editing in mind, just visually. And this is before I ever hit the space bar to listen to the music. I'm looking to see, is there ebbs and flows, starts and stops, 
syncable moments, edit points in the music. Like if it's just a continuous musical thought and it's just like a big composition thrown on the screen, it's very, very difficult to, to edit with. So if I see something that looks like an interesting audio file and it's not clipping, I will mm-hmm. then hit spacebar. Mm-hmm. This, and this is where it gets a little tricky. I need to have immediate genre recognition, no ambiguity, immediately. If you submit to me a forensic science track, mm-hmm. I want to hit spacebar and I'm in the lab. I'm watching DNA analysis. I'm watching luminol getting poured in. I see latex gloves. The music is tight, modern, sophisticated, glassy. It's sitting on the table and we are watching the forensic uh, science uh, process happen like immediately. And if I can't hear it immediately, yeah, it's probably not going to be a go. The next thing is, is if I hear that immediately, like, okay, we're in a forensic science track. I stop it. I scan right over to all the breaks and the stops and I'm listening to how how those moments like crescendo, break, leave space, come back in. Is it clean? You know, I'm looking for really, really, really good production. It has to be the absolute best or I am passing on it. Mm. It is not a personal thing at all. I, I mm. Feelings do not matter. I'm not even going there. It's I'm looking at the track and is that commercially viable? Does that represent... Crime Sonics. Does it sound like crime television? Is it clean? Mm-hmm. If it doesn't, it's got to go really fast. And then the other thing too is like I just throw this out there to um, you know composers if they're listening. You know, it does not matter if you can write the most incredible, you know, John Williams Star Wars sounding score if you can't produce it in a way that, for one, sounds realistic if it's not being recorded by a real orchestra. If it doesn't sound realistic, I can't use it. And I really shy away from this is a personal uh, like framework that, that we work in. If it sounds like software, hmm. unless it's cybercrime, which kind of should, hmm. um, I don't, I don't, I don't want to hear it. I don't, I don't want to hear software strings. I don't want to hear software instruments. You hmm. can use them for us, but they need to sound amazing. You're always better if you're doing string writing. If you're going to use software, hire at least a violinist, the top hmm. line. So the, so the top highest frequency that your ear is going to be drawn to mm. um, you hear it, it's emoted it's a real musician who who has listened to you has looked at your music and now is performing it and your your actual musical intention is being um, emoted if that's a word if I'm using that right like into the music yeah, yeah you know like I think about like samples it's just a moment in time that's captured and you play the note and it might have a few of the same note, but after a while, it's just the same note. Mm. And then to have a cellist use vibrato that's in time to the music and it's playing and crescendoing and it's mm. human and it's breathing. Software does not do that yet. I can tell yeah. you that much. So yeah. So what am I looking for? Immediate genre recognition and cr- incredible production, mm. cleanliness. It's got to sound dope. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you just asked like, the most important question ever to me. I yes. Think. <laughs> well, okay. Yes, well, that is it. You did. You did mention a little bit more about your process, so I kind of want to dig into that a little bit more because, mm-hmm. okay, so yeah, do you have a certain process for hitting emotional beats, like working backwards, starting with like high points, and you know, kind of picking out those. Uh, like this is when I need to hit something or, um, you know, this is where I need to pull back. But 
you know, kind of using all of your your life experience, but then also as a musician, hitting emotional beats? What's that process? The spotting session with the directors and producers, that would be so crucial. You know your story. Let's pretend that it's your project. You know your story. If you wrote it, you know it. You know those characters. And it's so important for that story, your story, to get into my head and into my heart and into my soul. I need to know it. I need to know the characters and know the ins and the outs of this process because all I want to do as a composer is serve it, right? Serve it emotionally, transparently, humbly. Like my ego's out of the way. Like I want to help tell your story. And so that initial process, we go through the project, that is you telling me and showing me and I'm watching, you know, you and you're talking about this character and this and I'm making all these mental notes or I got my laptop and I'm making like actual notes on the sheet, you know, time code. And then while that's also going on, I'm also just paying attention to the visual. Great, great editing and great DP work is incredibly inspiring. It's, it's its own symphony. It's its own music. And, and you, you probably experienced this too, like great editing. It's got a tempo. Like even if there was not a click track in the edit, like it has a vibe. Yeah. And uh, it's important that I know that vibe and see that vibe and then like manifest that tempo, like in, in, in the, in the digital audio workstation in the doll. Right. So Mm -hmm. that way I know like, you know, I got the click going and we figured out the tempo map from this hit point to this hit point. This thing's riding at about a hundred beats per minute. And then from here to this hit point kind of ebbs and flows a little bit around like, you know, like 95 or up, up to 110 or something. So like physically mapping it out where you're hearing this against the edit and the dialogue, that's so crucial. Personally speaking, like that's the, that's the funnest part because it's, it's the technical part and there's no stress yet of having to come in and write stuff. It's just figuring out the framework. You know, like it's very easy to play the game when you know the framework and you know all the rules. Yeah. So is that the most fun part for you is like mapping that out? Or is it actually like, is it, okay, uh, what's the hook for this one? Or is it like, oh, uh, actually playing the instruments? Because like you play a ton of instruments. What is the funnest process? Honestly, the funnest process is when it's all done and it's all approved <laughs> and, we're fin- and, we're, and we're finished. That is the best part of this. You know, I'm really inspired by the criminal and investigatory content. Uh, I did a wonderful documentary just a couple of years ago now. It's just crazy. Like that process from beginning to end was just wonderful. It was just wonderful. And the filmmakers were wonderful. What, what made it that way? I, I, well, I truly believed in the project. I just, it was, it was about um, like systemic racism in the police force and criminal justice reform. And, mm. and like a uh, governor Gavin Newsom is in the project. And like, it was like, mm. it was pretty awesome. Mm. And I was the only Caucasian crew member. I think maybe there was a colorist who was, was a white, white girl. I was working with these wonderful African-American filmmakers and I felt honored to be a part of this thing that was like touchy. And this was like two or three years ago, like things are so different even now. And so it was just really wonderful to be a part of it. And something that was important to me was if we're going to, you know, we're going to work on this thing and it's crimey. I also want to use, you know, sounds and colors that are from indigenous Africa. And it was just so cool. Like 
to like learn about the history of African music and then mm. try to pull sounds and instruments and use them into a modern score that also has like this crime kind of thing. It's just a mm. weird process, but let me tell you, mm. it's very rewarding. Still love that film. And uh, mm. it screens all the time still, like all over the country and just won some big awards and it's, it's awesome. Walking While Black is a film. Walking While Black. Oh, hey, wait. No, I, I yeah, <laughs> I've seen that doc around. Yeah, 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 for sure. So, like, one of the things that you do is help people or showrunners uh, do is create a signature sound. Like, we think of TED Talks and, the you know, the water drop. Um, Netflix is like, ta yeah. And, you know, like, how do you approach designing yeah. a signature sound for somebody? Just that sound. Believe it or not, that comes from you. If it's, It really does. Because, like, when you are telling me about the project, let's say it's like a southern justice texas kind of thing i already start thinking about sounds like instruments you know mm-hmm. and when you start telling me about emotion and tone mm-hmm. and i'm already thinking about instruments i just need to use those instruments to create your emotion and tone okay what instruments i've got to know i've got to know what instruments come to mind right now when you say southern justice well southern yes yeah southern justice well, like on the wall you see back here i there's some, some Native American flutes. They have mm. like a wood sound, mm. slide guitars, dulcimer, you know, that, mm. that, 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 that Johnny Law kind of sound. Okay, okay. You know what I mean? Like shakers that are earthy, yeah. not real like pretty, but like more rattly, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Stuff that just has that really like Texas sound, you know? Yeah, like okay, okay. High drums. I don't think I have any of those floating around in there. <laughs> For all of the sound effects that you use, um, you know, for crimey type of things, um, I remember seeing a picture and it you were bowing a cymbal. Um, I, I, I assume yep. that it sounds creepy, <laughs> but it yeah. just made me curious. Like, what is the most random instrument you've recorded? Not how it was intended. Go. Without offending instrument collectors, because I am also an instrument collector, I do buy things to break them. So there oh. is, there is, there is, there is a music store. There's a music store right up the street, and they have this. Um, I think most of their business is done online, and so they get a lot of like return stuff that was damaged in the like the transport. Okay. And I mean, I have bought guitars up there. They have like a crack in them, but that's it for five dollars. I have oh, all okay. kinds of instruments. I have purchased a ridiculous amount of instruments just to shatter and break and bow and crunch and uh, and step through. <laughs> I love it. Oh my stars! And yeah, all right. <laughs> my mom's a violinist, and so like <laughs> I, yeah. I think of I think of like her bow. That I mean, I remember her telling me once that it was like specifically her bow that cost more than the actual violin itself. Yeah. And so I'm just like I I have like this. Uh, holy respect for like crunching through any kind of instrument. <laughs> it sounds so good when they break. <laughs> but what kind of situation would you would you use a sound like that? Yeah, so like I'll give you a great example. Right now we have we have several thousand sound effects inside of Crime Sonics. Okay, and we have done like all of what you'd expect. Like the, you know, like the big epic promo risers and the hits and the, and the downers and all, all the stuff that you think. Mm. But uh, since we are very crime focused, we also have things like vandalism sound effects, uh, right? Uh, and um, so okay. that was a, a fun process where we've, in, in, in shattering glass, 
here's a fun factoid. At the dollar store or the Dollar Tree, you can buy cups and plates for a dollar a piece. And they all sound a little different when they shatter. And so we've gone up to the local dollar store on many occasions and bought two or three hundred dollars worth of plates and bowls and cups and pitchers. And we'll have boxes of uh, glass and then we bring it back and we're just chucking it and throwing it. And then we have this mound of broken stuff in our Uh garage or wherever we're recording, sometimes (laughs) in the other room. Yeah. And then we have a bunch of instruments that we bought, which are already half broke. So we'll throw that stuff in there. And it becomes wonderful sound source material. Mm. You can layer this all together and start creating what we would call like the sounds of vandalism or the sounds of burglary or the sounds of destruction. Never a dull day. And I'll give you another great example. Okay. So we have coming out right now, this guy. What is this guy? Uh, That is a 7 million volt stun baton, right? We have several stun guns and stun batons (laughs) and all this stuff. And we, we order in the craziest stuff and sample it here in the studio. Wow. Someone's getting tased on a cop show. I want them to use our sounds. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. 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 That actually segues really nicely into one of our listener questions. If you want to ask your listener questions, you can find us on Instagram at Practical Filmmaker. But one of them was, how do you store and present your sound library? I have a drive, but don't know how to start selling my sounds. We we were distributed globally by a sub publisher. I have recently ended that deal and we are just now signing with another one. And so, and, but I won't say who yet because we, we got to sign a deal. So I would highly recommend that route. I won't say first, but I highly recommend that route because they will have pre-existing relationships with showrunners and producers and editors all around the world. And so, um, you know, how to get a deal like that, you got you to gotta make something awesome. And now I haven't said that, you can go the other route and do like the e-commerce thing where you you build your sound library and you can have like digital downloads. And so I would highly recommend Shopify.com because hmm. we, we run a, a whole se- second other business, which we won't even talk about. And, uh, but we use Shopify, digital downloads every day and uh, people use different type of content we create and it's amazing. Mm-hmm. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't go it alone in the beginning. I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't go it alone. Okay, and we actually have one more listener question. What's the difference between a good mic and a bad mic, and does it matter much these days? <laughs> no, it, it really does. Yeah, it really does. I remember when I was young, I'm 38 at the time of this taping, and I remember I was recording at like 11 or 12, and I had, you know, I had like little $100 mics that you can get at a guitar center or something. And I vividly remember we try to record stuff and we listen to it back and it just sounds awful. And then you're like tweaking and you're trying to like fix all the time. And you're like trying to do it with, with really nice microphones. The nicer the mic really, the, the more they start acting like the ear and they just start picking up the way things sound. Hmm. That is my ultimate goal. It's like when I'm recording anything, I want it to sound pretty much done pretty much correct coming in that way it's like it's very little corrective surgery on the audio there's always anomalies there's always weird stuff that happens you're always kind of like looking around but there shouldn't be like real sonic reconstructive surgery on what you've recorded probably did something wrong so yeah good i highly recommend good mics if you're going to ask me which mics i'm a big fan of neumann mics we have a whole bunch of neumann mics here in the studio those like they sound wonderful 
Wow. I used to work at a radio station in college. I have not heard that yeah. name for like 10 years, I don't think. <laughs> yeah, they're really good. We've been Facebook friends for a while, and every Friday I've yeah. noticed that you always post, how can I help? What is the story behind that? When I moved, when I moved out to L.A., no one helped me at all, really. And it was really difficult to figure this stuff all out. And, and, and I've not arrived at all. I'm still figuring this all out. Mm. And I just remember, you know, I was younger. I had a very young son, what, what hadn't been married that long. And being full disclosure, full transparency right here. Like, I felt so lost and so scared and so nervous. Like, how am I going to figure all this out? It's such mm. a big city. I don't want people to feel like that. I don't want people to feel the way that I felt. And if I can help anyone, I want to. You haven't said that people do get a different version of me too, right? So like that person, I am that person. Like I do genuinely want to help people. Mm. And that comes from a, a, you know, a true heart. If you're working for me though, there's like such a high expectation. Like I really demand a high, high level of output. Yeah. So I think there there could be people too that are like, you don't seem that friendly when you work for them. And it's, you know, it's, it's two different, everybody has different facets of who they are. You, you can still demand excellence. Oh, never apologize for excellence or standards. Never. Yeah. Yeah. Never. Our excellence, not care about your feelings. <laughs> but yeah, I don't want people to feel lost or um, confused about our industry or, or th that they can't make it. A lot of my friends who were out here when I first moved here, they're all gone. They all like gave up. They're just somewhere else. You know, mm -hmm. like, I want, you know, I want to help people. No, that's awesome. The more that I talk to artists and filmmakers and people in this industry, there's been like, you know, one or two like pretty strong experiences that stand out for everybody when somebody helped them or mm -hmm. when somebody was gracious enough to like give them a peek behind the curtain and say like, actually, these are my rates. I, I ran into this all the time in photography and I, I respected more the people who freely gave that peek behind the curtain as opposed to saying, oh, well, you're my competition now. So like, I can't, I can't. I can't. Yeah, yeah, I, <laughs> I, I have a high respect for people who are mentors, the people who stress bringing and building other people up. I think that's really cool. I think it's fun to watch other people grow and learn. I mean, I'm also a dad though, right? And so mm -hmm. like, what, I mean, that's what you do as a dad. You are always like pouring into this other person and like mm -hmm. trying to teach them. And so yeah. like, you know, like the dad part of me doesn't um, shut off because I'm working, you know, like my assistant in the other room right now, he's 10 years younger than I am. So, mm. I mean, the guy's still 28, he's almost 30, yeah. but my son's in the other room. So when I'm talking to him, I know my son's hearing. And so it's like, there's always a certain amount of like, you know, check the ego at the door, stay committed to excellence, but also help people. There's nothing wrong with helping people. There's nothing wrong with it. What current project are you excited about now? It's cool to send an email to somebody who's like someone that you know and that you've like watched and you want you know, be like, and you fire an email off and they immediately reply and go, no, I know exactly who you are. I've been watching what you're doing. Like, wow. Okay. That's amazing. So yeah. I can't answer that yet. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well then how do people, well then how do people follow along? Like how do people find you, follow your work? This is your time for your shameless plugs. Oh, I love it. Well, a couple of them. First, the clubhouse thing has just blown my mind. 
yeah, that's like crazy. So that thing is going real well. And I just got on this whole clubhouse app and we're getting like a hundred follows a day on there. So that's pretty cool. And see follows there, just Crime Sonics. I'm on there. Okay. Um, crimesonics.com. We do have an Instagram, same thing. It's like at Crimesonics. Mm-hmm. We have a Twitter. Funny thing about our Twitter, the only thing we ever tweet is funny, goofy, uh, investigatory type jokes. So if you want, <laughs> if you want top dad jokes, that's the only thing we tweet. And there's a bunch of them. So go just scroll through because they're funny. They're always funny. That's it. I would yeah. have never guessed. Yeah. So follow up on Twitter. Like it's a, it's a hidden gym. Like if I'm on the elliptical or I'm on a walk and by myself, I'll like, eh, let me search okay. for Funny cop joke. Yeah. Go no, on no, there. Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. I got I got to look one up right now because yeah, there's, yeah. All right, all right. No, no, this this just has to happen. Hold on yeah, one second. It. Yeah. And then we have a because, YouTube as well. But yeah, you have to, you have to follow the Twitter. Okay. Yeah. The, the the first one, a thief fell and broke his leg in wet cement. He became a hardened criminal. <laughs> and they're all that bad. Every one. They're the worst. I take no credit for these jokes. I find <laughs> these jokes on websites. If they're your jokes, they're all your jokes. We just oh, my gosh. <laughs> you got to read another one. Oh, my word. All right. Robber runs into a real estate agent's office and shouts, nobody move. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. These are horrible. These are horrible, but they're so totally worth it. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. So get bored later. Yeah. You know, whatever. On that note, what question should I have asked you? How can you help me? Because I want to know how I can help you. Hmm. Well, so how can I the question, you? Yeah. Consider the question asked. All right. Hmm. How can, how, how can you? Hmm. Man, I've never had that turned back yeah. on to me. <laughs> right. So that's what I have found in our industry. It's so interesting because we're so, when I say we, it's, it's many in our industry, be it the composers or directors or writers or whoever, we're all trying to get heard. We're all trying to, uh, you know, excel ourselves. How can I help you? You don't have to answer that now, but that's something we can figure out. Like there's some way, like you got a project coming up at some point in time, you're going to need some help and I want to help. Now you've prepared me for any subsequent guests to throw that question back on me. I'm going to be like, oh, okay. That's so good. (laughs) Well, I have appreciated your time that you've given us today. Thank you so much. Always. Anytime. If you enjoyed this interview and are curious what Dan's favorite gear is, subscribe to our Patreon page, follow us right here, and check out more episodes at thepracticalfilmmaker.com. If you have comments or know someone who would be a great guest on our show, send in your suggestions to tanya at thepracticalfilmmaker.com. Thanks for joining us. Be well and God bless. We'll see you next time on The Practical Filmmaker.